you remember a number of months ago, we had a number of tables up here, and there were some plastic boxes on it. You had the opportunity to respond and say, I want to do this, or I'd love to do that. I'd love to get connected here. I'd love to help this way. Or I'd really love to see a teenager's life change forever by helping them to go on a missions trip. Well, that's what this is all about. What you just saw and this brochure describes it completely. What we talked about those number of months ago when we had those boxes up here is now becoming reality, and this summer is when they're going. In February, we're going to send 16 or 18 adults, and this summer at some point or the other at the end of June, we're going to send, what, goes 50, 60 high schoolers to the Dominican Republic, somewhere between 30 and 50. So if you want to help them out in some way or the other, it really will, as you heard this morning, change their lives forever. So read this carefully. We're going to be talking about it over the next few weeks, but we'd love to have you involved in that, and we'd love to have you supporting them so that their life can be changed like some of the ones that we heard this morning whose lives have been changed as well. On Wednesday night, Thanksgiving Eve, every year since I've been here, I think even before I came, we have an annual Thanksgiving Eve celebration service. Opportunity for us to hear from you what God's doing in your life, what He has done through 2016. So we're going to praise, we've got a devotional, and we're going to let you tell us in a minute or two what God's done in your life during the year 2016. We'd love to have you here. Every year, four or 500 people gather together just to celebrate before Thanksgiving the goodness and grace of God, to come together as a family of God. We'd love to have you here for that. Josh Wilson coming up. Concert tickets are available December the 4th. We'll start our Christmas program that night at 6 p.m. You won't want to miss out on it. We'd love to have you here. You can get tickets for that as well. Here, out there, someone will help you or call the office. We'd love to do that. How many of you are parents or have parented at some point or the other? How many more than one? You have more than one child. Raise your hand. I want to ask you a question. Was it easier for the first one or the last one? Which one was easier? How many say the first one was a whole lot easier? How many say the last one was a whole lot easier? Had the first one been the last one, how many of you had only had one? <laughs> all right. How many of you had so much fun doing it, you wish you could do it all over again? It was so much fun, I'd love to do it again. Awesome. We're going to be talking this morning about parenting, and you know as well as I do, it can change your life to a pretty radical extent. We're in a series in the book of Ephesians, and last Sunday morning and the Sunday before that, we talked out of Ephesians chapter 5 about the biblical foundation of marriage. And last Sunday morning at the end of the service, you stood up as a married couple and said, we really want to commit ourselves. Now, I know not everybody's married, nor is everybody in here having children or have had children. And I get that, but most of us in a context like this have at some point or the other been involved in somebody else's life, helping them in the next step of their life. And we want to talk about a biblical foundation for that out of Ephesians chapter 6. You all stood and said, we want our marriage to be godly. We want others to recognize that. The ones that will recognize it the most are the ones who are following it. The next generation. And it may not just be you as a couple. They're watching a lot of lives around them, and they're watching how you respond to life. And you have the opportunity as a person of God, a child of God, a son of God, or a daughter of God to imitate to the next generation what a godly role model looks like, what a godly marriage looks like. Whatever level of life God's called you in, you have the opportunity to show them what it's all about. You know as well as I do, raising children can be an incredible experience, can bring a couple unbelievably close or it can tear them apart. Some of the greatest joys of your life, some of the highlights of your life, I'm sure, 
are with children. And some of the deepest valleys you've ever walked through, you're walking through it as a result of being a parent raising children. Remember that first baby? Remember when God laid him into your arms? I still can't believe I held a 13-year-old, two of them in my arms this morning. Remember that, that first moment as you held that little one in your hands? And you went, wow, God. It was unbelievable. What an unbelievable gift. You've given me this gift. And then all of a sudden, they begin to grow and develop. And then that next step. And then that first date. How many dads remember that first date? And then that first broken heart. And you're going, I wish they'd never gone on that first date. Because <laughs> now all of a sudden you're walking them through this process of life and their hearts are broken and they're crying all over the place. I love that one commercial on TV where the dad is trying to console the daughter and all of a sudden he yells for whatever that thing is that magically makes your house run while the boy's outside crying for her to come out and he just has the sprinklers turn on him. <laughs> all right? Going through those stages of life, one of my favorite commercials is between raising that first one and raising that second one or third one goes something like this. So you have 10 years experience. I do. But no PhD. I do have a master's in early childhood development. You don't mind if I just record this, do you? Uh, no. Why would I? First kid. Here's all the numbers, food's in the fridge. Oh, and Lucas likes to pull on jewelry, so you might want to lose the nose ring. Second kid. You <laughs> at 11-ish. Right, isn't it? By the sixth kid, you're going, we won't even be home tonight. <laughs> Hopefully you remember our phone number. We'll eventually come back in the next day or two. The processes and all the changes that keep going through that, and all of a sudden you come to that next moment of their life and the next stage of their life, and you realize that, wow, my life is changing pretty dramatically. And then all of a sudden it's graduation, and they're taking that next step, and they're leaving home, and I won't see them anymore. And I'm glad for that, and I'm sad for that, and I don't know how to respond, and I just changed their room into a jacuzzi room, whatever that may be. And then marriage. And all of a sudden this guy comes to you as a dad and said, I want to take your daughter's hand in marriage. And you're going, wow. I knew it was coming. I knew it was going to happen. I was hoping it was going to happen, but I never knew how I was going to respond to that. I still remember Jonathan taking us out to dinner one night, and we talked about it, and it took about 27 minutes to get where I knew he'd been going from the very beginning of why we were out together to begin with, but I waited patiently. You know how patient I am. And I, I, I waited for that moment, and Eric did the same, and, and I waited, and Jonathan got to that moment and said, I, 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 I want, I want, I want, well, you didn't do that, but <laughs> I, I want to have your daughter's hand in marriage, and, and I said, John, we love you. We love you like crazy. We're so delighted. We're so excited. But I do want you to know, if you hurt my daughter in any way, you will meet me and Jesus, and it will be the same night. <laughs> and he pretty much knew that was true. I've also known that when you become a grandparent, everything as well takes on a whole new level. Nobody ever prepares you for that. Now all of a sudden you're starting it all over again and you get to do some of these cool things that you didn't do or couldn't afford to do all over again. I had no idea how expensive it was going to be. And I had no idea they would do this to me. I mean, they just simply, uh, they just wrap me up so much and take control of my life that they bend my finger down and they, anything they want, they get. And then all of a sudden you realize this unbelievable experience of your life, you get the opportunity to do all over again with the next generation, and it's incredible. I've sat with parents who've gone through some of the deepest waters anyone could ever imagine. Not only to lose a child, but a child who had strayed away, a child who just turned their back on God and turned their back on them. 
And they've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, and that son or that daughter just isn't coming back. I sat with parents when we prayed when their little ones were sick and when they're going through the stages of life, and sometimes the emotions are unbelievably overwhelming. And when I look at all my history of dealing with people all through the years, it's just sometimes is absolutely overwhelming at some of the pain you walk through as a pastor walking people through all kinds of issues of life. And our kids facing enormous pressure, especially with the onslaught of social media. Whoever would have thought 10 years ago we'd be even talking about the subject of cyberbullying. Girls now, especially in an article I read this week just in a magazine, uh, dealing with pressure and dealing with the overwhelming uh, problems that go with that, dealing with depression and everything else because of the onslaught of social media, which only a few of them would say, and they're kind of, and I want to be careful as I say this, but you know, sometimes they can be a little bit nitpicky on one another and do all those kind of things and, and to one another, but now it's on social media. So now because they don't like them and somebody else is attached to their Facebook or their message or Instagram or whatever it is, they're just attacking and attacking and attacking and it's overwhelming. And stuff that you and I as raising kids 20 years ago or 30 years ago would have never had to deal with some of the issues that we're dealing with now. And none of us would have ever thought of or imagined that some of the things that our kids would be faced with, they're being faced with now. And a lot of them are being ultimately raised by one parent. And, and not only one parent, all of a sudden this weekend it's one style of leadership and it's one style of parenting and it's one issue of life they've got to deal with. Now the very next weekend they're dealing with another style of parenting and another issue they have to wrestle with and they're coming back and they're trying to figure out which one do I want to be and which one am I going to be like. And again, 30 years ago, who would have thought of that? We all recognize and understand that. But as I've watched it unfold through the years, you realize... Parenting has changed pretty dramatically, and some of the kids that are having to deal with all the issues that go with that and all the problems that created out of that are sometimes overwhelming. In my generation, we're trying to figure out how to take care of our aging parents. And what are the next steps? Will I bring mom in my house? Will I bring dad in my house? Do we take them to a home? What do we do with them? And how do we keep them? How do we sustain them? How do we still honor them and do the best we can? How do we go on with life? dealing with this stage of their life that 20, 30 years ago we didn't think about as much. But now as everyone lives longer and we're dealing with those subjects and now all of a sudden in my age it's beginning to change. Every single stage of life is filled with challenges. There are a number of challenges in your sermon notes this morning about raising children, whether or not to have them, different views concerning when to have children. I say to every couple that comes in my office prior to marital counseling, I say, my advice, wait three to, five, three to five years. Now, for some, that's not possible, but for others, I say, you know, wait two or three years before you have kids. It's going to change your life pretty dramatically. Make sure you get to one, know one another well, and then all of a sudden, they're waiting three or four years because they took Pastor Denny's advice, and they got Grandma on the other end saying, when are you going to ever have a baby? And so they got to deal with both pressures of that side, but I want to say to them, Wait for a little bit. Get established. Get grounded. Not financially and worry about all that. People say to me, well, I want to make sure I have enough money. Can I be really honest with you right now? You will never have enough money to raise these children, right? But that issue of the when and, and all of that and, and how many to have. Uh, some dads want a softball team. You know, we, well, I'd love to have eight or nine. I was happy with two. I was thrilled with two. I wanted girls. I wanted girls in the worst kind of way. Every little boy at that time was just rotten. I mean, they were just bad. 
And none of yours are. I didn't know any of yours at that point. But when I was all of a sudden realizing that, that we're going to have, and the kids in our church and these little boys were just nasty and all the stuff that little boys do to one another, just unbelievable. And I kept saying to myself, oh, God, I want girls. And I didn't know. It's one of those things. You went through Lamaze class. They never told you which one you were going to have. And so you go through all those classes, and I'm waiting for that moment when I can be there and watch that happen. And then I find out it's going to be a C-section, and I can't even be there. And so I'm waiting in the father's room and waiting and waiting and waiting. And as Connie went down on the gurney, she said, I'll bring you back a boy. And as soon as she left and out of my sight, I got on my knees and said, oh, God, please no. <laughs> I beg you. I'd love to have a little girl. And so all of a sudden, this bassinet comes down the aisle and the lady looks at me and said, here's your baby. I'm going, what is it? She said, it's got a pink blanket on, stupid. What do you think it is? I'm going, I don't know colors. Just tell me, boy or girl. It's a girl. I'm going, okay, way to go, God. <laughs> and then we go through the second one and I'm going okay this is really, really really good God boy I'd love to have another one now for some of you are saying are you kidding me I'll take boys any day over raising daughters and all that goes with that and then how to raise them one parent may be too authoritarian demanding and, 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 and pounding and all the things that go with that and, and another just too permissive and anything goes and boys will be boys and all the stuff that goes with that. And the kids are confused as to what style to take. Well, the Word of God gives us some guidelines. I, one thing that, that parents have always said to me, I wish they came with an instruction manual, right? They do. They really do. It's right here in the Word of God. I'm only going to deal with one piece of it this morning out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. But they really do come with an instruction manual. And there are so many incredible things in here, in the Word of God, on how to raise the children that God has blessed us with. Children. Any of you children under 18 not married? This is to you. Obey your parents. Well, that's right. It is right. Honor, respect, cherish. Value your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it will go well with you and you may enjoy a long life. How many of you have parents have said that? You honor your parents because you may enjoy a long life because if you don't, you will have a real short life. Never <laughs> use that, I'm sure, in any way. Dads, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the instruction and training of the Lord. The word obey in your sermon notes this morning comes from two Greek words that means under and to hear. In other words, it means you have been placed, as a child, you have been placed under their authority. You have been placed under their hearing. Listen to them. You have been a position of authority as a parent. They are placed in that position of obedience. And obedience as a child, living at home, is not an option. Right? Obedience is not an option. It's a command. Now, as parents, we want to live a life that they will be willing and understand what it means to place themselves under that authority. They have been placed, as we have been placed, under the authority of Christ. As a mate, I place myself under the authority of the head of the home. And as a child, I place myself under the authority of those that God has given me as authority figures. That is my parents. And I need to take that responsibility seriously. Because obedience in the Lord is not an option. Now, some kids act like it is. But it's not an option. God said, look, this is how I've structured it. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. I know exactly how to make the, the family function well. So children, I have placed you under their authority. Listen to them. Obey them. The word honor means value or precious. 
Children are to honor their parents, not because they fear them, but because they have to, but because there's a relationship with them that draws us to them, and we want to honor that because they are deserving of respect. And as parents, we need to live a life that makes them want to honor us, right? We want to live a life that makes them want to honor us. Now you realize, and I, I would have never until the last 20 years of ministry, never would have thought that I had to put these two together and say this out loud. But what I found interesting is that you have to put this within the context of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. For that reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You've got to break the ties and go into this relationship. You say to me, well, why? We all knew that. Well, you have no idea the amount of married couples that come to me and say, I need your help and guidance. I want to honor and respect my parents. I want to obey my parents because that's what the Word of God tells me to. But now that I'm married, my mom says this, my dad says this, I want to obey him, I want to do what he says, and I went, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You've got to back up enough from Scripture to see what it teaches on the subject. Now that you're married, it's not about obedience. It is about honor and respect, but it's not about obedience because that's why he said, look, you leave your father and mother, you cleave to your wife. Now you've begun a new relationship. Yeah, but mom says, I have to come to Thanksgiving dinner at her house now. I've been doing it for the last 37 years. I've got to be there now. Why? And it, the list is endless. And one of the issues of marital counseling that I've done, premarital counseling prepare them, but marital counseling that I've done is dealing with parents and, and, and believers in Christ who want to respect, who want to honor, but are wrestling with what does that look like within the context of marriage. And I say to them, you leave that relationship, you cleave to your wife, so now your priority is him or her. You still respect them, but that begins to change. The demands will still be there. You know, y'all, when you all got married, you remember what it was like when all of a sudden you said, Mom, I'm not coming home for Christmas this year, I'm going to her house. And the list is endless of all of those things that you're going to have to wrestle with. Passage also refers back to the Ten Commandments. Ephesians, when it says here, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it will go well with you and you'll enjoy a long life, that comes right out of the Ten Commandments. It's fascinating that when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, it was the first one that deals with family relationships. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, it'll talk about it over and over again in the context of family relationships. God realized that if the relationship in the family went right and would go right and was built right, the nation would go well. Psalm 127 is in your notes, unless the Lord builds a house, the labors labor in vain. When God formed the nation of Israel, he knew that one of the pillars of their ultimate success would be the family structure. And if the family structure disintegrated, so would the nation. I put that within the context of the United States that many people have talked about in the last 30, 50 years, especially with a nuclear family that has almost exploded. And you realize that we have gone through incredible transitions as a nation and why the family is so under attack, because the enemy of our soul, the enemy is not the Republicans, the enemy is not the Democrats, the enemy is not the former administration, the enemy is the enemy. And the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, is out to destroy the family because he is well aware of this fact as well. If I can get to the family and destroy the family, I can also take care of the nation. And you do enough world history and you'll find out that's true. The family is incredibly important in the concept of God in the context of relationships. And that's exactly the way God designed it because he knew as goes the family, so will go the nation. Verse 4 said, fathers, do not exasperate your children. 
and said, bring them up in the instruction and training of the Lord. Now, when he uses the word father, you need to understand he's not excluding moms. He's used both parents all the way up to this point. Proverbs 1, 8, 6 says the same thing. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. In Timothy and Titus, Paul said to Timothy, look, I want you to reserve a special place in the church for older women who will give advice on raising children. Moms and dads both have enormous responsibility in the process. So why then does he use the word father in this passage of Scripture? Never really says. But it could be that sometimes the father doesn't take that responsibility seriously enough or rejects it altogether. I'm not earning a living. You've got the responsibility for the kids. Their spiritual development, their nurturing, and all of those kind of things. Both can provide, both can nurture. The nurturing of both is critical. I think the main reason that Paul uses the word father is because Paul understands the family structure and he realized it's ultimately the father who's accountable and responsible for his family. Ephesians chapter 5, the husband is compared to Christ in the church and to be the head of the home. It's the dad who's accountable for how the family develops. So when Paul said, fathers, you need to understand I'm placing the responsibility and accountability on you. Two weeks before Father's Day, every single year of my ministry life, I have dads come to me and say, look, don't keep beating us up on Father's Day. I don't even want to come anymore. Mothers are the greatest things since sliced bread. You elevate them, you give them flowers, you talk about how wonderful they are, and you beat us up as dads. I don't do that intentionally. I really don't. I don't think I do it that way. But it has a lot to do with the way God designed the family. And he said, dads, I'm not hammering on you. I'm not beating on you. I just want you to know I'm placing the ultimate responsibility of the family structure and dynamics on you. Not to beat you up. I know what I'm doing. I know what works. And I want to give you that responsibility. But I need you to take it seriously. And I need you to do it well. Paul said to Timothy, look, if you're looking for leaders of the church, you need to make sure they understand how to manage their family before you take the next responsibility. Now, I also realized, because of all the opportunities I had to meet people on a regular basis, that not every parent in the room or not every family in the room has a dad leading the home. I, I certainly know that. There are a lot of single moms in our audience who, when they hear a sermon like this, say, I'd give anything to have my husband take the responsibility. I give anything for the father of my children to take the responsibility seriously. And they don't. And it's not here to make them feel bad in any way. What I'd love for us to do, who get that and understand that, to walk around every once in a while and see a single mom raising kids and say, how can I love on you and pray for you? How can I love on you and pray for you? Because, man, you're taking on an enormous responsibility for both sides. So how can I pray for you? I just want to encourage you. I just want to tell you I'm proud of you. Because there are a lot of them in an audience like ours and in the first service this morning who are trying to figure this out on their own who don't have that support by anybody else and would love to know that their church family prays all over them and prays for them and sees them and recognizes that. Not just walking them out of the room saying, well, I wonder what's going on in their lives, but to say, hey, can I pray for you? You're raising them on your own. What can I, how can I pray? How can I tell you how proud of you I am? I think that would be awesome. The other phrase here is to bring them up. You'll see it in there, and it means um, the, the blank that I left out in your sermon notes is in the Lord. 
all of this is in the context of what God has designed a family to be. And he said, you're a believer in Christ. You need to obey your parents. You're a follower of Jesus. You need to do this and understand that. The phrase bring them up means a number of things. One is, obviously, it doesn't happen automatically. I'm sure you're aware of that. When Paul tells us that we are to bring our children up, he infers that it doesn't happen automatically. And they don't all of a sudden automatically become what God wants them to be. It doesn't happen by itself. It's our responsibility as parents to bring them up in the Lord. Had parents through the years say, well, I don't want to force religion on my kids. I want to say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If you don't put your stamp of influence on them, you do know that somebody out there is just waiting to do that. The world is waiting to do that. Everybody's waiting to do that. Don't be naive enough to think that if our children aren't growing up in a society that doesn't influence them, because I'll guarantee you if we don't put our stamp of influence on that child, someone will. Today's kids are facing enormous challenges and pressure. They need to see us put God first in our lives and take their spiritual development seriously and as a priority. Something or somebody will influence them if we don't. It is out there waiting for them. I want to be sensitive to this, but I really need to say it. I cannot believe the amount of times that I've seen parents place activities and sports over spiritual development. Now, some of you are mad already, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm just saying there are some parents that spend, and, and maybe they're not even here this morning because they're out doing something, and maybe that's, uh, but tell them I said it, and they can come and talk to me, and it wasn't you that said it, it was me. But they place all of these things, all 62 sports they're in and doing all these things and going all the time. And they, they, they place those things over their spiritual development. And then they wonder why they're not having this affinity toward God. Because they haven't seen it. Number one, we don't think it's a big deal. And, and we don't take the time to make sure that becomes the priority of their life. Now, there's the opposite of that. You know, I grew up in an area, era where you, if, if the doors were open, you went to church Either you were in church or in the hospital, right? And if you weren't in church, you would be in the hospital because you didn't come to church. I mean, that's, so I, I, I remember that and I get that. But I'm not saying every time the doors open, I'm saying their number one, your number one priority as a parent is to make sure they're spiritually developing to become all that God designed them to be. And one of the best ways to do that is to partner with us to help you to do that. We've got one of the greatest children and youth programs I've ever seen in all of my ministry life. I know I'm biased because I've been here for 21 years and I've seen it and watched it unfold. But I'm telling you, when I see kids walk through our children's department and I had 35 people come to membership class yesterday and some of them had never seen that, they're just blown away by what we have and what God's offered. And all the people that are involved, the people want to help you grow and help your children develop. Obviously, I know I'm married to the children's pastor, and so I, I see her work 60, 80 hours a week and invest so much time and energy to make sure it's the best program you can imagine. We have Keith Kozik and Evan Miranda, two of the finest men I've ever met in all of my life, who love your high school students, who love your junior hires. A hundred and some of them come on Thursday night, 50 to 70 of them come on Sunday night, and two of the finest men who'll ever influence them in a lifetime are there with them, loving on them, encouraging them, praying for them. I was out to lunch with Evan a couple of months ago, and if you've never seen him, he was on that video clip with the Alliance U shirt on it, and the guy came over and said to Ev, because he knew him, and said, is this your dad? And Ev said, no, it's actually my boss. And I'm going, I wouldn't mind. I love this kid. I would be happy to be his dad. And they would love for you to be able to partner with them and helping you through the process. But there's so many options out there, and you have to help them understand that spiritual development is a priority in their life. 
And Coe's talks to me about some of the things these kids open up talking about, some of the things they're sharing. I'm blown away by the freedom they feel in that context to talk about what's going on in their life. And we'd love for you to come and bring them and be a part of that. I mean, it's just been an unbelievable year when I see what God's doing in our youth and children's ministry. You also notice, by the way, it's written, it's not optional. You know, God doesn't come to me and say, hey, Dan, I'd like to make you a suggestion. You may want to consider, it's up to you, but you may want to consider, just think about bringing your children up in the Lord. It's not an option, it is a command. Thirdly, it's a continual job. Somewhere we want to stop along the way at junior high and then give them up until they come back for the wedding day and not be involved in between, but it's a continual, ongoing job. Remember those baby years and you prayed for them to get through all the sicknesses and all the illnesses and then all of a sudden you put them on a school bus and you find out you're praying for them even harder. And then it's the next step and the next step and the next step and the list is endless and you're praying over and over again and you send them off to college and you wonder what kind of influence it's going to have on their life and you wonder if they'll come back growing in their spiritual life or rebelling in their spiritual life or walking in another direction. And then they get married and then the list is endless of the challenges to go with that. Connor still said to me over and over again, I find myself praying as much now, if not more, for my kids as I did when they were little babies. And I thought we were praying a lot then. To pray a hedge over them, a hedge of protection around them. We pray over them every day, still to this day, and our grandchildren pray a God, hedge of protection around them and over them. It's a continual, ongoing, never-ending process. It never stops. That's awesome in that. But it's our responsibility that continues through to pray them through every stage of their life. Fourthly, that parents provide a happy and a healthy atmosphere that encourages growth. Notice he doesn't say put them down, hold them back. He said build them up, bring them up. It's a picture of an ongoing, growing process that is positive in an environment where our kids really want to shine and really want to develop. He tells us things we should do. He also says some things we shouldn't do. Dads, don't wear them out. Don't provoke them to anger. Now, it doesn't mean we let them have their way and spoil them. It's just said, don't frustrate them so much. Colossians, he said the same thing when he said, Dad, don't embitter your children. He's also saying to, to both mom and dad all the way through here, quit taking the wind out of their sails. Quit being so demanding they feel like they can't come home and feel like the wind comes back in their sails. They know they're going to get home and beat up just as much as they did when they were out there. Don't take that innate creative ability that God has given them and try to control them so much that they become so resentful because you're so heavy-handed as a parent, they'll grow up not liking you, the church, or God. Don't provoke them to anger. Build them up. Fill the wind in their sails because I'm telling you, everything they're going to face as they walk out that door every day is going to do everything it can to take the wind out of their sails. Don't expect more from them than they're capable of being. I'll pick up with some of these next Sunday morning. Paul said, look, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. Now that I'm an adult, I'm an adult. And sometimes we think they should be something they're not. Every once in a while we remember, and I needed to remember. I certainly remember Con telling me that all the time. you got to remember, Dan, she's four. you got to remember, she's seven. Uh, sometimes we do that, and other times we try to compare them with somebody else. Why aren't you more like them? Why aren't you more like him? Don't frustrate them by moving them through life faster than they are. That's why the Proverbs writer said, train up a child in the way he should go, which means train up a child according to his bent, according to his nature, which means I've taken enough time with him to understand what's best for them. Remember I said last week to Peter, what Peter said to us as husbands? 
Guys, live with your wife in an understanding way, which means you've you got to take time to figure her out. And Paul is saying the same thing, and the Proverbs writer is saying the same thing. Guys, ladies, gentlemen, you've got to figure these kids out. They're going to be different from one another. Punishment's different from one another. We could send Aaron to a room. She'd stay there until Jesus came back. She didn't care. She loved being in a room. We sent Race to a room. She was out in a minute and a half. Didn't like that solitude and isolation. Aaron loved it, so we had to figure out which one works for which child. We were thrilled that we only had to because we only had to figure it out twice. For some of you, you're still trying to figure that out. But it means you take the time to understand who they are and walk with them through the process. I'll finish here today because I'm going to talk about it next Sunday morning. I, I have right in here in my notes, be careful and disciplined, but discipline. Maybe it's not that emphatic in my notes, but it comes out that way. I say it with both sides of this. The Proverbs writer said, I need you to know the, the tongue has the power to give life or to bring death. The tongue, that little three-inch piece of flesh in your body, has the power to bring life or to bring death. And once the words come out, you can't put them back in again. So be very careful what you say about them. You know, I, I, I've, had, I've had parents come to me and say, you know, the nurse in the hospital said this was the most beautiful baby they'd ever seen in all their lives. The nurse said this was the smartest child they've ever seen in all their lives. And all of a sudden, where's that beautiful job baby become somebody that we call dumb and stupid? And use names and words that tear them down and build them up. The flip side of that is discipline. Do you have any idea how many times I've heard people say something like this? Now, Susie, we don't kick the pastor. Seriously? Well, boys will be boys. I'm going to go, seriously, discipline. You know what that looks like? Do you know what that means? Because they're running around now just tearing everything up. You have any idea what it's like sometimes to see our, the, the kids grow up and just run loose in this place because they've not had discipline and structure at home. So there's both sides to that. Be very specific and aware of what the words do and how, what you can say. There's the flip side of that is they need discipline. They need to be allowed to make mistakes. They need to know how to lose, for heaven's sakes. I give me a trophy for everything. I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> but they need and understand discipline. I'll talk next Sunday morning about what that looks like. But that's that responsibility of a parent to make sure that I understand the balance between the two and are not running wild like those little boys that I didn't want. How funny is it now that my dad has given me three grand sons? Love that. And they're awesome. Best you've ever seen. Responsibility of making sure that I understand what I say and the impact it has on their life. And the necessity of making sure they're structured and disciplined. Because otherwise they won't have a clue how to manage life and how to navigate the challenges and pressures of life. And they will be lost. And the next generation after that is even in more trouble. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Oh, boy, I'm, I'm so delighted that you did give us an instruction manual so that we could understand how to lead our families well. And so, Father, there are a lot in this room this morning who are in the process, grandparents who are now raising their children because of a variety of circumstances. So bless them and help them and encourage them. For every single mom in the room who's just trying to navigate the challenges and pressures of raising children and careers and all that goes with that, please lift them up and may we be sensitive as to how to encourage and how to pray. 
for a mom or a dad in a room who's got a prodigal that just is not even interested in seeing them, let alone knowing God. And the pain is overwhelming of so desperately wanting that prodigal daughter or son to come home and they're still running away. And others still remember what it's like. And we talk about this this morning. So may you, by your incredible power, meet us, everyone, at the very point of our need and to be able to understand how to best navigate the challenges and pressures and changes that our kids are going through so that we can do it well and know when it's all said and done, we look in the eye. We can know we've done our very best to raise the next generation to be the kind of sons and daughters that you would want them to be and that you have placed in our care. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Next Sunday morning, we'll pick up right here. I didn't know that till 10 o'clock this morning in the first service, so we're going to pick up here, and then we'll keep moving on. A couple more things in this series we want to do, and then we start a Christmas series. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. See you Thursday, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, next Sunday after that.